I am a finder of the destiny path of God for my life. Amen, amen. Praise God for those of you that are joining us online. We are so excited as we begin the fifth volume of our series on dynamics of destiny relationships. We first of all talk to you about how do you relate to God, and then we talk to you about how you relate to yourself. We went on from, from there um, because I, I, now we spent some significant time on that because if I don't relate to myself well, I won't relate to other people well. Then we talked about relating to your neighbors and then to your spouse. Now we're in a series now where we're talking about parent-child relationships, but we really are going to take some time and dig into this because this is a very important thing. You know, um, God gives a dimension of himself to parents. That's why he's called a father and he calls us father. But that's something that we, we learn and get from him. But he's entrusting us to do something in the lives of the seed that he brings into our lives. Now, some of them are natural children, but some of them aren't. But he's still expecting us to make an impact in their lives because some people have natural fathers, some people are spiritual fathers, but he is very interested in it. And he watches this and grades it closely. We'll talk about it in this series, but, but Jesus said, you need to be careful how you offend a little child because their angels will tell on you in heaven. Now those are Jesus' words, those aren't mine. But it just tells you how serious he is about how we handle children. So we're going to take the time and deal with that. So stay tuned with us. We'll give you a chance to um, know some announcements of things that's coming on at the end of our message today and how you can help us to carry this gospel further. Amen? All right. So dynamics of destiny relationships. We have four objectives. Uh, for that, and it is number one, to illuminate the basic power of relationships, especially relationships that are developed for the purpose of glorifying God. And what we're talking about in this parenting thing is sometimes kids just happen. They, that, they weren't the main idea. Okay, that went over some people's heads. Sometimes they, they, were, they were an outcome, um, but their, their, their purpose, we didn't come up saying, hey, we're going to have children. Now, some people did. Some people did. Some people said, hey, we're going to have children. Our intention of having children is to raise them and to nurture and admonition of the Lord. Sometimes people was just hot and bothered. Hallelujah. Number two, to elaborate on the love connection as the key to empowering relationships, the principles upon which relationships consist and by which they are maintained and enhanced. And one thing we talked about in this this series is, or this, this volume of our series is that um, because their needs change over time, to have a healthy relationship with children over time, you're going to have to change over time. And sometimes what happens is people are stuck at a certain point in their lives and they can't seem to progress forward. Because they don't understand, man, I, I'm still trying to holler at my kid like when they was a child. And they're like, listen, that doesn't work anymore. Right? So you got to grow with that relationship. Number three, to differentiate the various types of 
spiritual, natural, and social relationships and their purpose for being from God's perspective. And your parenting relationship is spiritual, it is natural, and it is social, right? Because you do have to learn to relate to your children. Can't just come home barking out orders. You have to be social, right? And then finally, to motivate you to be more intentional in your relational roles at every level for relational success. Um, last time I walked you through Ephesians 5:31 through chapter 6, verse 4. I'm going to start out with chapter 6, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and then I'm going to read down to verse 4, and then we'll go through the quick points that we had last time. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 20 and 21. Hallelujah. And it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so we gave you eight quick points from Ephesians 5. Um, 31 through 6, verse 4. Number one, we said one of the outcomes from a godly union of a husband and wife is godly children. And we taught you that in Malachi 2, 13 through 16, that God desires one of the reasons why coming out of our marriage series is that, that he makes two one is to raise up a godly seed. Now, one of the things that we have to understand from heaven's perspective, because one, I want us to see children from heaven's perspective, okay? I want us to see children from he heaven's perspective. What you'll find in the Bible is there was times when, when, when God's people had a problem and God's answer came as a baby. Children of Israel locked in Egypt, God sent a deliverer, but he came as a baby. So his answer came not fully formed. I was talking to uh, my leadership about some of the transitions that I'm dealing with at work and some of the people. I got some of my more experienced people moving on to different assignments, and then I get the same headcount to replace them, but now I got to replace a seasoned person with a new person. And so sometimes we, we call, we say a person who is very seasoned in the business, we say they, they are an oak tree. And I had to tell my boss, I said, listen, man, they're the same number of people on paper, but you're replacing oak trees with acorns. I said, it's just not the same. Okay, and so sometimes when you're in that, then you have to take on the assignment to grow people into assignments, right? 
people love when they come here and, um, you know, there's a certain seasoning to my music, right? When I do my thing, there's a certain seasoning. I'm, I'm growing Minister John, but it's just, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm 30, 40 years into this thing, right? So there's just a, there's just a certain, certain touch that I have that he doesn't have. And that's okay because I started him understanding that one day I would need to move forward to a different assignment. And I didn't wait until it was time for me to move forward to start. Right? So I understand he's a work in progress. And that's what you have to understand when you're bringing, when you're bringing children along to their destiny. Listen, you're going to have to work with it. It's going to, you know, when the kids drummers, listen, I'm about to give me a kid drummer again. It's going to get noisy up in here. Y'all going to have to get used to it. And I'm, I'm going to be very happy. Hey, man, that was really good. Praise and worship may drag a little bit sometimes, right? Don't have to teach them how to play with a track and keep up with it. It may get a little noisy up in here. But I understand if I'm going to grow it, I have to grow them into their assignment. God's, that's one of the reasons why God raises up put marriages together is so that in the next generation, there would be a godly seed. Now the devil understands that, right? He'll, he'll try to get kids to kill you, make them gangbangers, right? Murderers, man, you know, and they're just little kids. You go to foreign countries, they're child soldiers, man. And them, them dudes will take your head off. Right. Don't even don't even blink because they've been hardened so much. So the devil uses this in reverse, but it's it's a God principle. All right. So number two, um, that means that the husband must assume the role of the father and the wife must assume the role of a mother. Just because you are a husband and wife doesn't mean you have acquired the grace to be mother and father. Right. Because some people like they. They like just being together, but they don't like the responsibility of taking care of the next generation. And it is responsibility. It's the R word. Okay. Right. Um, one of my, uh, one of my, um, I was at work at one time talking with somebody and he was just talking about this thing about being a, a husband and wife versus a, a mother and father. And he said, man, I just like the amusement park. I wasn't looking for the assembly plant. <laughs> I think that went over some people. <laughs> he said, <laughs> I just, I, it's like, I, I enjoy having time with my, with my wife. I wasn't really just planning to have a bunch of children. That's the amusement park versus the assembly plant. True. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But it kind of goes with the te- package from heaven's perspective. Number three, because the husband is the head of the wife, he is also the head of the home and giving the primary responsibility to see, to ensure that the children are matured and not damaged. You fathers bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He could have said mothers. There was a word there for mothers. He had already said the word for parents. It's not the same word. So he had said mother, father, parents. And then he picked the father out and said, you bring the children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, uh, I don't have a real father. I have a baby daddy, and so I got to do it. No, no, there's, 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 there's things that happen, right? You could have a good father like we did, and then he'd be in heaven, and I'm not finished being raised. So a lot of stuff can happen, 
all right? We just have to understand the responsibility, right? I have to be, I have to think through, even at the age my daughter is, even though technically in the world they might call her quote unquote an adult, if something happened to me, who is a person that I trust to be a fatherly figure? I can't leave that to chance. I got to think that through, right? I got to think those things through because I'm responsible. So I got to think about it, right? All right. Then number four, God expects that parents bring children to the point of spiritual and natural maturity so that they can continue the cycle for further kingdom expansion. And that is a man leaving his father and mother and then cleaving to a wife. That means he has matured to the point that he can carry the kingdom forward further. All right. Um, that was number four. Number five, while it is true that both males and females should be brought to maturity, the Bible specifically calls out the need for males or for men to mature. There must be some challenges to men maturing. Must be. Because, like, when God tells you this, he is prescribing the solution to a problem. Okay? So... I'm just curious, like, if, if all of these scriptures talk about a man and then, you know, a, a man giving, taking on a wife, someone of maturity, then there must be an issue with men maturing. Even the Apostle Paul said that um, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away my boy toys. That's the King David version, right? First Corinthians 13, 11. So we got to really see what is the Bible saying about men and maturity, all right? Number six, in the child state, with godly parents, the focus is on obedience to instruction. So there's a certain point where it says children, people not fully matured, who have parents who are in the Lord, you got to be taught to obey them. And so um, there are times when parents are trying to explain themselves and win the child's approval when they should just say, you got to do this. Okay? Sometimes it's just do it because I said it. And that's good training because there are things that God's going to tell you to do and he's not going to like to have to tell you two, three, four, and five times before you decide that you really want to do it. All right. Number seven, there is a point of adulthood in children where obedience is no longer the primary directive. This is even to the point of leaving parents and cleaving. That word there, cleaving, when it says cleave to a wife, it means like glue. Okay, cleaving to a spouse. So a husband is supposed to be the glue of the home. Of the home, he's the house bander. He puts the he puts the band around the home. Okay, and so um, all right. If there's not enough connection in the home between a husband and wife, God's looking at the husband to do something about that. 
You ever had one of them times you was mad with your spouse and then, you know, y'all in the bed, but she's sleeping on that side and she don't want to be touched. And then you're on the other side. Y'all don't do that. Y'all don't do that. Y'all don't do that. Y'all don't. Y'all don't do that. Y'all don't do that. Okay. <laughs> the husband is the person who God says, okay, reach across that. I'm expecting you to fix it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, Pastor David. Yes, praise the Lord, Pastor David. Mm-hmm. Help, help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. All right. And then finally, number eight, even when this point is reached, meaning a point where obedience is no longer God's primary directive, there is a lifelong expectation of honor that produces with it a life that is long and strong. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that you may live a long life and it may be well with you in the earth. So, um, so we want to understand that honor principle and then we want to teach our children biblical honor. Now, sometimes... Parents, I love you. But sometimes we make up stuff and we call it honor. It is just stuff we done made up. So we want to make sure that we understand what does the Bible call honor versus stuff we done made up and then just try to put bondages on people that God don't, right? So we want to understand the biblical definition of honor, right? Sometimes we, okay, you didn't call me today. Okay, all right. I mean, I, you know what? Your phone has outgoing calls and incoming calls, okay? I'm just saying, the phone worked two ways. Did you know that? You know, I mean, you know, when you're on lockdown, you know, I can't call you. But since you're not on lockdown, the phone you have, it actually makes an outgoing call just like you expect an incoming one. Okay, and I'm, I'm not mad at nobody. I'm just saying, let's not put definitions on stuff that the Bible don't have and then call that honor. See, you're just making up some other thing. And see, God, I'm sorry, he don't just approve your opinions on stuff like that, okay? And just because you want it to be doesn't mean, you know, we just read that there comes a time, and I say, I'm a son, so I have to read this scripture very closely and say, there's something that God wants me to leave and something he wants me to cleave. And if I get that wrong, then heaven's going to be out of order and my house will be too. Because God is grading me. Because he says, he said, yeah, there's some parent honor. But then he says, giving preference or honor to this one as the more delicate vessel because I'm grading and your prayers will be hindered. So, that, so I have to think through honor and all of those things, don't I? Do you see that? Okay, so we want to, as we deal with this, when we talk about a child coming of age, you know, you may not be ready for that relationship as a parent to change when the child get ready. Moses, when he came of age, the scripture says, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had come of age... And what was okay before stopped being okay. 
It didn't say Pharaoh's daughter was, was happy to see that happen. But he came to himself and said, things must change. <laughs> That's some good preaching, Pastor David. Yes, it is. I'm preaching good right up in here right now. Okay, because we because because people make this stuff up and then and then they just want to throw God in. And listen, you stop. Stop throwing the Bible around every time something didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. I, I'm just I'm just like, stop that. Stop it. Just stop it. It don't happen the way you want it. And now all of a sudden you're going to flip. And you're not even, if you're going to use the text, don't take the text out of context. Stop, stop that. That's, you see what I'm saying? Because, see, God doesn't hold me accountable because these are just your expectations. And I'm not saying you can't have expectations. I'm just telling you I'm not bound to them. Because I have moved past the point of obedience, and now I'm at honor. And I got to take the Bible definition of honor, even if that's something different than what you expected. Okay? So we want to have very clear as we go through this series. This is, this is an important one now because things change. And I have to be very flexible in my relationship as it grows because what was beautiful at one time can get ugly fast. It can get ugly real fast, right? Everything is beautiful in its time, right? If, if I do the right thing at the wrong time, it's ugly. Listen, Lady Nedra don't want a husband that can't make no decisions calling home to mama. Come on. She won't, she, what are you saying? Okay, she don't want that? Come on. She don't want that. She don't want that. Listen, 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 listen. I'm telling you, I'm working on a series called Desperate Christian Housewives. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, okay? So we want to be clear about this thing so that we can mature and then we can see the signs of destiny because we want to be the type of parents that are encouraging our children to their destiny even when it hurts us. Listen, I felt some kind of way. You know, he, he's not my son, but when, when Shelton was here and I had to lay my hands and send him on his way, listen, I was going through some, some emotions. <laughs> and I wasn't mad at him. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna start flipping the Bible and say no, it can't be. Cause I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I just had to deal with my thing and keep it moving. Okay. And so that's the kind of parents we want to be. Even when it hurts us, we we want the best. That's what destiny is. The destiny says, I believe God's plan for you, even if it's not to my benefit. I want God's plan for you. Right? Then, then see, now they'll want to come back and say, hey. Well, praise God. Okay. Eight perspectives on the parent-child relationship. We're going to dig into this first one. Um, 
in, in detail, all right? The first one is children in the eternal plan of God. And that's the one we're going to deal with today. Children in the eternal plan of God. I got a, um, four key statements I'm going to give you about that and then a bunch of scriptures. We'll go on from that because children in the eternal plan of God means this is before, this is before somebody's, you know, got the birth test and says something's in the womb. In God's mind, they already exist. Okay? God's already got the plan, all right? So that's, that's number one, and that's what we're going to deal with today. Two is children in the womb, all right? Listen, God and the devil come for children while they're in the womb. John the Baptist got filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Right? The devil's coming for children in the womb. He's trying to snatch them out. Then there's babes and sucklings. And there's a responsibility that you had. If Jesus' parents, listen, listen, listen. If Jesus' parents hadn't taken him to be circumcised on the eighth day and taken him to be dedicated in the house of God, the whole plan of God would have failed because he would have violated the law, but he had no capability to do it himself. He was, he was at the mercy of his parents. And sometimes our children have been at the mercy of parents who have not been merciful as far as God's plan is concerned. And so we want to be very clear about that. Number four is young children, where we are providing, guiding, directing, and correcting. Right? Okay. So this is the stuff, this is, this is like most of the times people laughing at that age and then crying when they're older. Right? Because it, it's easier to crush an acorn than it is to cut down an oak tree. We can fix some of these problems while they're small. Right. I still remember that whooping I got when I stole that candy bar out at Eastland Mall. It was it wasn't Cortland then. It was Eastland. <laughs> Do you get the same? Remember it was the Eastland Mall? Remember that? I still remember that whooping. I have that problem. I didn't have that problem. <laughs> I was going to say they beat the hell out of me, but I, in my church, I don't know if I know your ears may be too sensitive. But I'm going to tell you, uh, we didn't have that problem no more. I'm just saying. You understand what I'm saying? You stop these problems. Some of these things, you stop it. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you something that you're going to never forget, okay? Because then once I deal with this now, we're not going to have to deal with this later. So the other side is people laugh at problems, and then they're crying later. Okay? So I'd rather cry whooping you now so that I can laugh later. And that, there's scripture that says that too, by the way, right? Um, number five, transitioning child, children to adulthood. Now see, this is when they're starting to come into their own. This is times when God's going to tell you, not the devil. God's going to tell you, not the devil. God's going to tell you, step back. And let them start to come to know who they are in Christ. Because if you hover over them too much, then they're out on their own. They, they clueless. 
They clueless. So, so you need to start kind of pulling back and letting, let's see what they can do. Okay, I'm going to give you a curfew. I'm trusting you. I'm checking, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to let something go. Why are you still under my roof when I can do something about it if it gets off? Because if you make them go from zero to zillions overnight, and the first time they have freedom is their first time away from home, <laughs> they're going to be going buck freaking wild. Because they don't know no better. They're like, hey, we got all our freedom now, and then you can't do nothing to fix it. All right? Number six, shifting toward marriage and multiply family, Right? This is that leave and cleave principle. And then um, what was good parenting before becomes meddling and witchcraft later. Woo, Pastor David. Yeah, you said it like that? Mm-hmm. Because you can't be manipulating your grown children, trying to make them feel guilty to do what you want. Stop. Stop. Stop it. All right? Seven is elderly and ailing parents of adult children. See, now there might come a time when the person you who care for you, you got to now care for. And God forbid, I mean, listen, listen, I'm praying, God, that my mind stays strong. But we can't. Who can say where everybody's going to go? You know, um, one of my childhood's pastors good friends in ministry, Fred Davis passed this Sunday. Or not passed, but his funeral was Sunday. So he passed about a week ago. And um, man, that man, he was some kind of preaching machine. He was something, something. But at the end of his life, he had dementia. And they said his daughter, Portia, had to do a lot of caring for him. Now, no matter the kind of leadership that I remember is just in my mind because I didn't go with him through all of those changes, but the daughter had to handle the rest of it. Okay. So we just want to be sensitive because we don't know everything that life will have for all of us. Right. We just want to be sensitive and have all of these things. If I have to hit this, I'm going to have some, Something from the word of God that I know if this, if this becomes a, a path that I have to go down, I'm going to prepare myself even for that, right? And then finally, it's planning and preparing for children beyond your lifetime. And this is the, you know, part of this is the insurance pieces. But, you know, I prepare messages thinking about my words living on in your mind when I'm no longer here. I'm not ready to say it's ready for me to preach until I can imagine God bringing this up in your heart if I'm no longer around. Because I want my words to live on, right? I want something that'll last beyond my lifetime. My biggest nightmare it's for me to do all of this work of ministry, and then I'm going off the scene, and that thing implodes and crashes in on itself. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. 
And so as a parent, um, when I get down to this one now, I'm going to check you on this one because everybody thinks, and I said it last week, we think our estate is like the Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, you get, we think everybody should get the same. And the Bible doesn't say that. There is no scripture in the Bible that says everybody should get the same amount of an inheritance. You cannot find it in Genesis and you will not find it in Revelation. So why do we feel like I got to give all of my kids the same amount or I don't hurt this person? Child, please. I was advising a parent, you like her better. And this is one of the child saying to the, about the, to the parent about the other child. You, you do more stuff. I'm like, listen, that, <laughs> he don't handle nothing you give him. Why would you give him more? And not only is he messing up his stuff, but he in danger of messing up your stuff. And if your stuff go down, not only do your house go down, his house going down with you. Because you the one holding his house up. Why would you do that? Okay, so we got to ask some hard questions. I'm just saying. Now, listen, 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 listen. Now, everybody going to feel some kind of way, but it's your money. <laughs> everybody going to feel some kind of way, but it's your money. So let them feel some kind of way. If you gave it, they would blow it, and they wouldn't care if you felt some kind of way. Because they they doing what they want anyway. Why do they need your money to do what they want? I'm just saying. Okay? So when we get down to this one, then I got to start qualifying. I got to start grading. That's uncomfortable. Yes, it is. Should be. It should be uncomfortable. Should be uncomfortable. The prodigal son wasted his father's inheritance with riotous living. And, and when he got done with it, he still needed money and he had no inheritance. Okay? So we want to train. And listen, listen, you don't start that. You don't start that when they 35 and you 70. You watch it when he's five years old. And he leaves his bike outside and lets the rain come and, and, makes, and let it, lets it rust. You start checking it then. What happens is people wait till they're 35 and then their house going into foreclosure and then they start looking at it. But they, they missed it. That they, he start, this was a pattern of behavior. Okay? So you start looking at it when he's five. When he get his first job and can't, he got a job and still borrowing money from his siblings. Okay. <laughs> you start looking at it, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. Okay. And then you don't, you don't close your eyes and go the other way. You look at it. You look at it. What, something's wrong here. Okay. Because... If you go and you just give him a bunch of loot, he's just going to blow it because he don't have any way to hold it on. You understand what I'm saying? 
you you don't you don't you don't do that. You look at this stuff. Listen, I'm trying this the stewardship, not not the ministry itself, but the stewardship of this ministry is something I inherited. You look around, I am trying to increase the value of what was given to me. I'm not just trying to ride it into the ground and let it just go on down and just ride it until nothing else happens and it all falls apart. I want it to be worth more when I give it off than when I got it. That's your mindset. And if you don't have children with that mindset, then your inheritance will be blown before your body rots in the grave. And people don't think about it. They don't think about it. They just, it's Johnny. <laughs> I'm going to feel bad if he don't, if he don't like me because I didn't give enough. You, you, in, the, you in heaven. <laughs> what are he going to do to you? Turn over the grave? What? What? You better make your decisions now. And tell them, tell them, don't be mad. Bro, you don't have no money. Well, why would I give you more? He know that. That's why he always calls you to bail him out. Get mad at you when you don't. Holly, that's some good preaching, Pastor David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go on. I got, I got four quick points here about children in the eternal plan of God. Number one, you are an eternal being having a temporary experience. You are an eternal being. Most times people think about eternity and they think about from the moment they were born, all, or not necessarily born. You know, we, uh, we say life starts in the womb. So that's why we say abortion is murder, okay? But from God's perspective, that life didn't start there. It started first as a thought in the mind of God. And so you have existed in eternity past, and you will exist through eternity future. Right? So you are an eternal being having a temporary, a time-based experience. All right? Number two... You existed first in the mind of God before you existed in the womb of your mother. And that's why we gave you the scripture in Hebrews 12 that said, you were subject to your fathers after the flesh when they spanked you and corrected you. But you should now be subject to the father of spirits, talking about God himself, so that you can live. And so we want to have a clear picture that... Um, now, this is, destiny, this is destiny teaching here. You existed first in the mind of God. God had an amazing plan, and that plan required you to fulfill it. All right? So that's, that's a key thought that we have there, that there is this amazing plan with your name on it. And that's true for your children. All right? And so we don't want to just tell Johnny... You need to be this because this is what I wanted to be. And I couldn't be that. So I need you to feel my dream. So you got your daughter dressing like a thought going to the prom because you wish you could get in that skinny dress and you can't no more. 
I'm just saying. It be, people put all of this stuff on their kids. Just they stay living their dreams through their kids. Okay? So we have to be careful. Put all this pressure on them to do stuff that we couldn't do. China, you could be anything. You could do this, you could do that, but you ain't done nothing. Then you're putting a bunch of pressure on them to do stuff that you didn't do. Okay? So we have to pull back and say, God, this child is your child. I don't want to put my plan on them. I want to understand what your plan is. Now, because I'm a parent, I'm expecting that you're going to download for me the information that I need to direct their destiny until they're capable of directing it themselves. But I don't want to impose it with my own notions of grandeur and greatness that just come from me. Does that make sense? All right. Number three, God fell in love with the thought of you when you only existed in his thoughts. God loved you in eternity past. You know, in the automotive industry, one of, one of the fun parts of the business is um, going to the Detroit Auto Show. It's, it's, it's actually kind of the, the big one, right? They call it the North America International Auto Show, right? And um, one of the most fun parts about the auto show is seeing concept cars. Concept cars is just ideas that we have. We're not yet ready to go into production with it. It's just the idea. But some concepts are so good, we're like, man, and they have such a strong reaction from the people in the market that we say we need to try to take that idea into production. That's what conception is for God. He took the idea, and when the parents <clears throat> came together and brought their flesh together in a way to produce a child, he was the one that grabbed one of those spirits inside of himself and said, you go there. He fell in love with that, the idea of you when you were only a thought. The word um, to, to love your thoughts is the word philosophy. Phileo is love, right? Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, okay? Um, so philosophy means I love my thoughts. God fell in love with the thought of you when you were just a thought, all right? And then finally, number four, because of that thought, he made a plan for your life, including the redemption of your life through Jesus Christ, all right? So let's just read some scriptures, and I'm just going to read some scriptures that gets us through these four points, because this, this for me is destiny doctrine. This is for me helping you to understand the amazing plan that God has for you that's hidden inside himself and placed inside of you in a seed form. Now, he had this concept, and then he said, I'm going to go into production with this, right? He says, I'm going to go, I'm going to go into production 
with the idea that you have, that I have of this seed. Okay. And so we want to see from scripture when there were times when God had an idea and then went forward with it. Let's look at it. So Jeremiah chapter one, verses five through seven. Let's look at that one. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you got to the point where your mother and father's, the seed and the egg came together and life was put in there, I already knew who you were. Okay, that's destiny doctrine. Before you were even in the womb. That's why we can't start with children. I can't even start at the moment of conception because the concept didn't come at conception. It was the concept that drove conception. If there was no concept, God would not have allowed conception. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, listen, if he had gone through some formal ordination process like I've gone through, you know, there's all kinds of people that came together and said all of these things. But clearly, from God's perspective, there was an ordination process that happened in eternity past. That's why the scriptures tell you the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. So you can tell him all of the stuff that Jerry, you know, Jeremiah said, Jerry said, I can't do that. You know, I'm this, I'm that. I got all these issues and God ain't listening to none of that. So you might as well just shut your mouth and get about the business. <laughs> all the reasons why you can't be what he created you to be. And he ain't listening to not a one of them. Verse six, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a youth, but the Lord God, the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you and whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. And then God later on told him, listen, uh, either you're going to, either you're going to deal with them or you're going to deal with me. And it's in your best interest to get on their bad side versus getting on mine. Okay. All right. Just go on and read it. Don't, don't take my word on it. Go and read it. I'm saying that because I know there's more ministers in the house besides Pastor David. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 17. And it says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. When there was no form to it, you already saw me. <clears throat> because we are not evolutionary beings. We didn't just plop up because mom and dad had a real hot night, date night. God had a plan, and he formed you out of that plan, okay? And in your book, now listen to this one. This one, this is an important destiny doctrine here. In your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, 
when as yet there was none of them. So heaven has a bestseller and your name is on it. That's really important stuff. Pastor David, why do you spend so much time on it? Because people have heard that you're an accident. I hate you. You just like your knucklehead daddy and all is you. Your daddy wasn't going to be nothing. You ain't going to be nothing. All of that. And then they don't know that God had a plan that required you to get it done. And he wrote down a plan for your life. And if that plan for what that he wrote down if the way I'm living my life, because that book is being written in heaven too, if those two line up, I get great reward. So that's why I spend time understanding the thing that God created, called, ordained me to do, and how my days are supposed to work out, and then I live my life lining up with that, with that plan, and the closer those two align, then I can walk in my destiny and get eternal reward. All right. Verse 17 says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. How great is the sum God's thoughts, God's thoughts add up about you and they're all good. Look at Psalm 22 and 30. And that one I want in the King James, Psalm 22, 30. And it says, a seed shall serve him, and it should be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Okay? Now, Pastor David, why is that scripture so important? <clears throat> because there's things that God wants to do in a generation to affect those around that generation. And so his answer to those things coming to pass is a godly seed. A seed shall serve me. And that seed will influence its generation. That's why the Bible tells us in Psalm 112 that a man who fears the Lord, his seed shall be mighty on the earth. They're going to influence their generation. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Right? So we should be in expectation. Like, I'm so excited. You know, I see I'm, I'm doing this destiny teaching but I see, I see Minister John doing his own level of destiny teaching. He's reaching people that I don't reach. I ain't mad about it. Right? I mean, I want him to hook my website up. I'm, we're talking about that because I want my website as good as his website. That's, that's a, a different day. Okay? Because I want him to bring what he got back home to the, help the mothership too, baby. Help the mothership. All right. All right. But I want him to have his own drive to reach his own generation. A seed, godly seed, directed, it's supposed to impact his generation. Right? So that should be part of our expectation. That, like, there, there is a teaching in the church that, man, it's all getting bad, and we're just going to stay here and huddle in our huts until God beams us up. Like Scotty used to bring up Captain Kirk on Star Trek. It's not like that. God wants you to influence a generation. All right? Now let's look at, 
I'm going to look at Ephesians 1. I'm going to read verse 3 through 5, and then 8 through 12, and I'm reading out of the Message Bible. And all, we're going, all I got is a couple more scriptures, and then we're done. All right? So let's look at it. Um, how blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. The high places, it says that we are blessed in spiritual places, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the way the King James says it. Now, it says here that he blessed us in heavenly places before there were earthly places. If you have a King James Bible, th these things, it would say, before the foundation of the world. That means, that means Ephesians 1 actually goes in front of Genesis 1. Because Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But before there was an earth, see, you never start out in the assembly plant. By the time they see the car, we've been working on it a number of years. You always start out in the design studio. You never start out in the plant. You don't just start out building and hoping it comes together. Somebody is designing it. And that's what this is telling you. What I want you to understand is that God designed your destiny. And so you don't make it happen. You make it welcome. That's why you step into situations because God already knows what he's going to do. Even when it looks difficult, you don't step back. You step up because you know God's ready to step up and meet you there because he's already got it planned. He doesn't get to a plan when you get there. He had the plan. That's why you're getting there. All right. How blessed. All right. Verse four says long before he laid down earth's foundations. He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. God's love is designed to fix all of them deficits that you always talking to. God, I can't do this because this is wrong and that is wrong and that is wrong. He's already had a plan to fix that stuff. He made his plan is for you to be whole and holy because of his love. Right? So that's why you never look at yourself and all your problems and say, this is why it can't work for me. You don't do that because he's already got that figured out. All right? Now, all of that's important. Why am I dealing with this before I deal with the children's stuff? Because that's not just true for you. That's true for that little bundle of joy or that prodigal son. He's figured all of that stuff out and still got a plan. That's why we teach you about prayer. That's why we teaching you to engage in intercessory prayer, right? He's already got a plan to get them back on the path and finish their journey out doing the thing he created them for. All right. Verse five, long, long ago, he decided, he decided, he decided, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, what pleasure he took in planning this. He got excited about planning your life. See, because I'm an engineer, 
I understand that some designs are just beautiful. You look at some things and they just, you know, you, you, see, you, you see one of them cars coming down the road, you had, I did that, I did that. You, you, you look at that thing with pride, baby. You know, you know I, I did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you, there's something that comes up in you. You have delight in saying, I helped plan that. But he's not just talking about some inanimate object. He's talking about you. He's talking about you. He took pleasure in delighting at. Now let's look at verse 8. We're going to go from 8 to 12. And it says, he thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need. He thought of everything. Now, he's the master thinker. He's the ultimate provider. So if the master thinker thought about it, you know that no thought was left off the table that it's needed. If he is the great provider, if he provided it, there's nothing that I need that hasn't been figured out already. Okay? Right? Verse 9, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. So all he, we're doing is, that's why our prayer life has to be up, because he's got to let us in on a plan that's already done. He set it all out before in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of an overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. First of all, you got to know that's true about you. And stop discounting that because of whatever you discounting it because of. That can't be true because this is what happened to me when I was a child. They told me this. Somebody abused me. And I'm not saying those things aren't real. So don't, don't hear what your pastor is not saying. What I am saying is, even if those things are real, this is more real. And God always has a plan that factors in all of those things and still gets you to your destiny. And that's something worth shouting about. Now look at John 17, 23 and 24. All right. Now this is Jesus. We call the Lord's prayer, our father and so on, but it, that was really the disciples prayer. This is Jesus praying. This is the Lord's prayer to the father. And it says, Jesus is saying this to the Father, I and them, talking about us, the church, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, this scripture says, God the Father loves me just like he loved Jesus. I got quiet up in this church, but I just read it to you. I didn't. Just, that's just what that said. Didn't that what that said? Didn't y'all read those words? That's in your Bible. That's not just me. God the Father loves me just like he loved Jesus. Must, because he gave Jesus to get me back. He that spared not his own son, but gave him up, 
how much more shall he with him freely give us all things? Yeah. Okay. He loved me just like he loves Jesus. Now look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, so he loved Jesus before the foundation of the world. He loved me just like he loved Jesus. So he must have loved me before the foundation of the world too. God fell in love with me when I was just a thought. And he loved me just like he loved Jesus. And he sent Jesus to get me back. Now that's all true for you. But now I want you to translate and say, when I have that bundle of joy, or that problem teenager, or that prodigal son, whatever age or stage they're in, that's still true for them too. Never seen the righteous forsaken, or his seed begging bread. The seed of the righteous shall be delivered. All I gotta do is keep living right. God gonna work it out. All right, Titus chapter one, verses one through three. This is our last scripture and then we're done. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which, are, which accords with godliness, in hope, hope is earnest expectation, hope is the blueprint, faith is the, is the building material, but hope is the blueprint. Hope, right, the blueprint, um, okay, so let me just give you a short faith and hope lesson. Faith gives substance that causes the thing that the blueprint has to come to pass. One of the reasons why people's faith don't work is not because their faith isn't work, it's because they don't have hope. They don't have a picture that faith can bring to pass, right? Lazarus was at the rich man's table and all he was hoping for was crumbs. Because he was hoping for crumbs, his faith could only give him crumbs. So you don't want to be a Christian crumb snatcher. If you bring your hope down to crumbs, that's all God can manifest for you. All of the Bible, everything that the Bible have and all you want, God, if you just give me these crumbs, I'm going to be all right. And if all you want is crumbs, that's all he's going to give you. Okay? The, the father, the father in a child gives the hope. He gives the picture. His seed is the picture. The mother... The father, the paternal is pattern. The pattern comes from the father. Maternal is material. The material comes from the mother. Hope and faith work together to produce. God has a picture. The father has a pattern of your life that's called eternal life. That's what this scripture says. All right? In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. God made a promise before the world began. He looked at you 
called your name out and said, listen, I promise to give you eternal life. Now, just because you can't remember him saying it doesn't mean he doesn't remember him saying it. Now look at verse 3. He promised it, but has, it has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the gospel commandment of God our Savior. So the promise of eternal life that he has for you, he's promised it, so he's already committed to it. He can't uncommit himself to something he promised. God cannot lie, and he promised it. I don't remember him saying that. Just because you don't remember him saying it doesn't mean he doesn't remember him saying it. That's why Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have that life more abundantly. Now, why is this so important? Because when we think about our children, we have to think about all of these principles being true in their lives and God entrusting them to our care. They have a destiny. Some parents get tired of dealing with their kids. See, God is trusting you wherever they are, are in their stages. Even if they're taking the long way around to their destiny, he is still trusting you. I told my godmother, I said, listen, I told her, she was so encouraged. She said, she said, David, you preached about it? I said, yeah, ma, I preached about you. I preached about how my god brother was doing his long time of incarceration. I couldn't leave your house without us holding hands and praying for him. Me and God, dad got tired, but you was going to make us pray and we was going to touch. We was going to touch and agree. And we was not leaving that house. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we was not leaving that house till we called his name out. Listen, I had to tell her when I had to go because if I didn't, <laughs> she was going to make me stay there until we finished praying. So I had to watch my time. If I had to get in a hurry, I had to tell her, I got to go in an hour so we can get to praying now. She, she wasn't praying. We was going to pray. But I tell you what, God answered her prayers. He answered her prayers. I'm a living witness to it. He answered that prayer. And so I just want you to understand that you, God's entrusting you with your children.